0: Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello everyone,
1: this is Rosemary Coates in Silicon Valley. I'm your host for this edition of the Women and Manufacturing Podcast. I'm the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring or expand their manufacturing in the US. I also run a global supply chain consulting firm called Blue Silk Consulting where we help clients with global supply chain projects, and where I also do expert witness work. On these podcasts, we interview accomplished women in business and ask them to share their experiences with us. We are looking for insights from women leaders across America that we can all learn from. So today, I'm really delighted to welcome my guest, Cindy Andela. She's the owner and CEO of Andela Glass in upstate New York, and Cindy is leading the charge in glass recycling and in running a very unique and interesting business, and I'm going to let her tell you about that. So welcome, Cindy.
0: Thank you for being here with me.
1: Yeah, I think it will be a fun conversation between us. Let's start out, and can you tell us about your background and how you ended up in manufacturing?
0: Sure. I think it's always interesting to see how many women end up in manufacturing and maybe how many who don't. As a, I would say, started out as someone in school, I always liked math. I liked solving problems. It took me a while to find my journey to be an engineer and to study engineering. At the time I was going through school, maybe 10% of the women were engineers. My daughter went through school to be an engineer, and it was all the way up to 15%. So I'm not sure we've made a lot of progress yet. (laughs) And I think it's because women don't know what engineering is about, and it's a wonderful way to apply math and science and problem solving to real-world problems. And that's what really got me interested. So I kind of put that engineering background together with my entrepreneurial spirit, and I got out of school And I first worked for a large company, General Electric, and got some good experience in manufacturing. I always really didn't want to sit behind a desk. I wanted to be in manufacturing. I got a business, a master's in business MBA from Winslow Polytech Institute in New York. And then I jumped off the corporate wagon and took the vow of poverty and became an entrepreneur and started my <laughs> own business. I can relate and, to that. <laughs> yeah, I know. So that's when I started working with the start of Endela products, Endela tool machine. It was basically we were making equipment for other companies, but we said we really want to have our own product line. And so and the Endela pulverizer was invented, you know, created as a product line that and patented that was unique to our company. And it's for turning glass into sand. It's a local solution to a local problem. And it just seemed like a very common sense thing to do. Glass comes from sand. Why don't you turn it back into sand? You don't have to move it anywhere. You don't have to transport it. But that was a new concept. So we I've been in this business for over 25 years, really promoting that idea and building a manufacturing business to actually manufacture that equipment. I built this business from the bottom up, starting out with the very basics and working the manufacturing into more of a custom manufacturing. We're still completely a U.S. manufacturer and we've been able to go through all these ebbs and flows of the economy because we have a specific niche and the internet has really helped draw that business into us. And so I'm a woman in manufacturing in the recycling industry and I am a rare bird in that industry. I
1: I can relate to you. And when I was in college, I was uh, my undergrad was in logistics management and out of uh, logistics and transportation out of 87 people with that major at the at Arizona State University. Only three of us were women. Yeah. 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 All the good news was I was pretty sure I was going to get a job easily. (laughs) Because so many companies were looking for women at the time, so that was a plus. But it's really interesting at how there's been growth in some of these areas where women are studying, but by and large, it's still sort of predominantly male. So, well, so tell us some more about Endowed Products and how, how it's developed. So I know you made the recycling of glass and so forth, but tell us a little bit more about the product and what it looks like and how it works.
0: Yeah, sure. So our product is a different pieces of equipment or what I call complete systems, which think of, uh, you know, stringing them together to make a complete necklace or a complete, you know, train. You've got a number of cars that all have to connect. And so we have equipment that will handle crushing glass, any type of glass. So we basically take waste glass that's mixed with non-glass and turn it into a fine sand. We do this all in one step process from a loading to a pulverizing to screening process. And this is unique in that we can turn this into a, a sand that you can use in your sandbox, no sharp edges, or a stone. And the bottle caps, the paper, the residue that might be in there come out in a larger form and they separate out the end. So it's uh, very adaptable to anything. We have equipment all over the world because islands, remote places, if they want to recycle glass, this is an obvious solution to them. And over the years, the interest in our equipment has been driven by market forces that include environmental market forces. People want to recycle. They don't want to put the glass in landfills. The United States generates about 9 to 11 million tons of glass every year. And only 2 or 3 million tons of that maximum are now recycled back into new bottles and so on. So that means there's a significant amount of glass that is still going to the landfill. And we provide a solution for that. So do you, at
1: the end of the process, do you actually send the pulverized material back for
0: glass making or something else? It's usually used locally for something else. So it's a replacement for sand. And I thought, well, there's sand everywhere. Why why bother making sand? But it's interesting because sand is now becoming in short supply. There's actually sand wars going on. If you get into islands, they can't mine sand off the beaches. With global warming, the beaches are disappearing. There's erosion. The sand is disappearing out into the ocean. And they need sand. They're importing sand, barges of it. So any island... Any place that has glass as a resource that's coming in in the form of containers or something that's been imported, they want to turn that into a local resource because they need it to build their buildings to just anything from, you know, pool filter sand to construction sand.
1: Yeah, I think I've, I've seen something on about this at PBS or, or somewhere yeah. where sand is used for cement, right? And so when you're making buildings, you have to have all this sand and it's just not available anymore. Yeah, it can't no. be taken off the beaches. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they think sand is everywhere, but in the desert, they can't use desert sand for construction. They actually import sand even when there's an abundance because it's not the right size. It doesn't have the right gradation and our equipment actually makes a construction graded sand. It's the right wow. size, it's the right construction. So people are rethinking sand as, as something to just be brushed aside. Also from a safety point of view, glass sand doesn't have any dust, hazardous dust associated with it. People might in the industry might think about crystalline silica, crystalline dust is hazardous. Regular dust from from sand is, but glass is not. Glass is actually a super cooled fluid and it gets along with our bodies. It doesn't cause any problems. So it's a safer material and it's an environmentally sustainable and recircular process. So
1: in the, in making this stuff,
0: I don't know, the
1: pulverized glass. So in making yeah. it, the machinery has what, tumblers inside that break it down or chop it up? Or how does that work?
0: Yeah. So our our really the magic of this is we have a, a bunch of hammers flying around inside there. And I say it's some sort of a combination of a tornado and a blender and a flexible hammer mill. OK, so when the material goes in there, the glass gets broken down and tumbled all at the same time. But a piece of paper will fly through on the airstream. So Walmart receipts or a plastic bottle will come out whole, but the glass will turn into material less than a half inch or less than quarter inch in size. So. It's just a. It is unique to our process. It was invented just to do glass. It wasn't an accommodate, uh, some sort of change from a rock crusher, and now use it for glass. And that kind of unique design comes into play, which is what I enjoy doing as a a woman and engineer in manufacturing is problem solving. So people come to us and say, you know, I've got laminated glass, I've got windshield. So we design a machine. To take the glass off the laminate someone says oh we got crts these big glass things that have to be smashed so we'll take our basic design and redesign the around it that basic design to handle all these different types of materials so our magical little swinging hammers do the work but we'll redesign the system for different types of material
1: oh so interesting how you know, how that all works and yet so simple you know we really have solved a problem with a, a process that this is going to help us environmentally, I'm sure. So yeah. you also have another brand called Ruby Lake Glass. Can you tell us about that? Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I've been I'm manufacturing these machines for over, up to 25 or over 25 years. So the equipment manufacturing and providing that, that to the industry has Been going for some time, but I would often talk to people and say, "Why don't you do this with the glass? Why don't you do that with the glass sand?" And so, then I started a company to actually be a glass recycling company. Practice what you preach, right? I just couldn't resist, and I started another company. And Ruby Lake Glass is a glass recycling company. It's a new product that nobody else is doing. The technology we have is unique in that we have a proprietary process for color coating the glass. So we put a very thin coating. On the glass, it's durable, it's attached in a special way, so it doesn't just wash off. And you can make colored sand, very fine material, less than a millimeter in size, color-coded, which can be added to coatings and applied to surfaces. Or we have particles that are a little bit bigger and they're glued to the roads, make bike lanes and bus lanes, um, a color. So Ruby Lake glass now is recycling all types of clear glass could be colored glass too, but it focuses on clear glass. It could be panel glass. It could be window glass. It could be windshield glass. This is glass that nobody else wants to recycle. We take it. And then we crush it, pulverize it, screen it using the equipment from Mandela products. And then we turn it through our process into a color-coded material.
1: So can people just buy this from you or are you shipping it
0: through a retail channel or what happens? They're buying it directly. We have everything from people just stopping in and buying it off our property in what I call the factory outlet store. We call it scoop your own. We give them a bucket or they bring their bucket. We give them a shovel and they go out there and they just fill it up and they pay per bucket. It's like pick your own blueberries or apples. And we got colors that are left over from our orders. But then we really do mostly business to business transactions where we sell truckloads of material 22 tons at a time so we basically sell thousands of tons of this and it goes on trucks and it goes to a contractor in the business of putting it on the roads or a coating contractor who's going to put it on the walls or the floor or it can also go on concrete products like a polished concrete countertop you know with colored aggregates oh, yeah, in it sure. uh-huh. so it's a sparkly yeah. flex sort of yeah and it'll be color because we use clear glass so even if you polish it The backside of it is colored and it's like a mirror. You can still see the color. So if you wanted a polished concrete with a red or a yellow or a blue, like the blue of your your shirt there can be the color that we can match. We can match any color because we're actually, you know, putting it into the coating that goes on it. Oh, wow.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. And colors come and go too. So one color is popular for a while, then another color, and especially in, home products in particular, I know um, that's very important. So it's interesting that you can change the colors and develop. Yeah, we can.
0: So it goes from landscaping or it goes into architectural products or it goes into the coatings industry. And one of our biggest customers is road demarcation or road marking. So in Boston, New York City, there's bus lanes that are red and you get off the bus, you don't want to slip and fall. So instead of being on red slippery paint, they're actually stepping on color-coded red glass that's been, yeah, and bike lanes are
1: green. Yeah, I was driving yesterday, and I noticed there were some new bike lanes that had been put in in place on some of the roads. They were green, for the bike lanes, and, but there were some other colors mixed in, too. I think that's really interesting, and it must last longer than paint as well, too, right? That's right, yeah,
0: color, durability, and friction, so you can get the color you want, you can get the friction rating you want, so you don't slip and fall. It depends on the size of the glass, and it's durable, especially up here in the Northeast. It takes the snow plows, and it stays on year after year. Very good. Wow, so it's fascinating how you
1: know how this all works, and everyday products that we see or use or pass by, and you don't even know that that it includes. Yeah, these kind of materials. So I, I would suspect that with all climate change and with more focus on green initiatives, mm-hmm. I would think that very many places would be interested in your machinery and in the final products that come out of it. Can you tell us a little bit about your customers and who they are and you know, why they, they select your
0: products? Sure. Yeah. Our customers are municipalities or the city, the county, the state, the government, or private industry. So ultimately it's the people who call for it. People say, I want to recycle the glass. And then they let their municipal leaders know we want to recycle glass and so the municipal leaders are like okay well how are we going to do this because there's nobody going to collect glass for bottles here they're mixed or we have a glass they don't want or we're too far away from a bottle manufacturer so the municipal entities start that process and then they look for solutions and sometimes they buy it themselves and operate it themselves sometimes they contract to a private entity to buy it and operate it. And sometimes it's just nonprofits. Like we have a pulverizer system going to a rotary club in Lake Shalane, Washington. The rotary club with some grants and private money is buying it and setting it up. And then the municipality is going to, in this case, help them operate it. So it can be some combination of that. We also have private industry and windows and door companies, companies that generate waste glass. They used to throw that away. And a lot of companies are trying to look at their back end and become zero waste companies. And if they want to be zero waste, they start finding out they're they're throwing away material that we could recycle into a sand. And so they'll start looking to us for solutions too.
1: Wow, so interesting. So just so that we can imagine this, how big are the products? Are they the recycler? Is it like the size of a house or is
0: it more compact or what does it look like? Yeah, Yeah, that's a good question. Because we do everything from small machines. We call them a GP mini. And a mini for us is still pretty big for some people, okay? Because it's a—it's really an industrial machine, but it might be something that's five feet by five feet by five feet cube, okay? It's all self-contained. And, you know, like Disney would be interested in this or other companies that might put it on a cruise ship or they put it in a resort. Oh, and it's, yeah. Wow. They can load their bottles in and out comes sand and the trash separated. So it can be as small as that, or it can be as big as a, like a couple tractor-trailer loads next to each other. It might be something where we ship a system that we actually ship four truckloads of equipment that are set up, and it might be 100 feet or 150 feet by 80 feet, and that might do 20 tons an hour. So we do everything from a thousand pounds an hour up to 20 tons an hour capabilities. Okay. So
1: Coming out of it, if you're, uh, say, uh, you're doing something, you're a manufacturer of windshields, for example, and you have uh, all this extra glass, waste glass, and you use your equipment to recycle it, coming out of it is sand that doesn't need any further processing. It can just go into the environment, right? That's right. If, If you choose not to sell it or to do anything else with the sand, it can go
0: anywhere. Right. It can go anywhere. Right. A lot of people have a hard time just kind of imagining, like, what do I do with sand? You know, and, I, and I'll and i say to many of my customers, well, you probably have potholes in your parking lot that would take care of it for a while. With the, And they start saying, oh, yeah. And we started what we call the Scoop Your Own program, where people come and just buy it by the bucket. They'll pay $10 for a bucket of it. And they bring it home, put it around their bushes, put it under their patio blocks put it anywhere where they buy sand. And that really helps with the recycling because if they bring their waste glass in and then they can go ahead and buy the sand, they see the circularity. They see that it's being recycled. It's not just disappearing somewhere. So just putting it out a visible place with a shovel in it, then people by the bucket and then contractors by the truckload will come and buy it because then they start seeing it as an alternative to going to the gravel pit. You know,
1: it's fantastic. I mean, I've worked with some other companies that are in the recycling, not recycling glass, but in general, uh, trying to recycle their waste products or making some attempt. There's nothing that's as efficient as what you're describing,
0: nothing. I mean, this is really fantastic, yeah. It's so incredibly simple. It's been hard for me to understand why people couldn't get it. And some people have said, well, who's your competition? And I said, really, the landfills are our competition. Okay, the waste companies who own the landfills, they like the glass in the landfill. It's heavy, it's inert, it doesn't go anywhere. And they get paid by weight when it goes over the scale. So there's no initiative from the waste companies. It's really an awareness of the people that are generating the glass waste themselves, whether it's individuals or companies. And that is now becoming more and more open awareness with the circularity, with zero waste initiatives. So that's been helpful. Yeah,
1: fantastic. So do you have hundreds of these machines out there in the marketplace
0: or a smaller number? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, no, we have hundreds. We've lost count, but hundreds of machines out there since we've been doing it for a while. And then they they move around over time and they come back. They don't usually come back to us, but they'll they'll show up again and somebody will call us and say, you know, I bought this. And can you get it up and running for us? And we do. We can refurbish It's up. Heavy duty design, but the parts that wear out are replaceable, and we can get them back in business. So our equipment's out there and getting replaced or upgraded, or just brand new customers. And you, you find them in the most obscure places. But so that must be a fairly significant part of your business—is
1: the field service and the repair part of it?
0: Yeah, it's getting to be more and more <laughs> of that. It's great because that's a base part of the business. Maybe 30 percent of our business is just servicing and replacement parts for equipment that's out there.
1: Fantastic. So a little bit more about your customers. What are they asking for? I mean, are customers asking for more made in America equipment or zero footprint stuff? Or, you know, what are they looking for when
0: they come to you? Yeah, and that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is something I really noticed this last year because of COVID and because of the supply chain issues we have. People call up and they say, "Is this all made in America?" And we go, "Yeah, absolutely. We are American-based materials. We all buy are made in America, as far as we tell. And this is American." And they go, "Good. Well, that's what we're going to buy because we we've had too much trouble getting parts and service from something that's made in another country. And so this is getting to be more and more relevant.
1: Sure, sure, absolutely. And I think, of course, I'm biased because I run the Reshoring Institute." But on yeah. on the other hand, I think it's just this general awareness of the the principles of, of buying local. So local for local, we call that, where you're making products in the U.S. for the U.S. market, and you know yeah. that's got some real advantages to us economically as well as you know it's just the right thing to do. So we're, we're yeah, we in favor of that.
0: We're making it's making more sense for everyone. Not only because it just feels right, but It's a delivery issue and it's a pricing issue. And now we can be competitive in that area. Fantastic. That's
1: fantastic. So tell me a little bit about being a woman and owning a business like this. I mean, what do Mm -hmm. you think about women-owned businesses in general?
0: I think they're great, of course. And I'd like to see even more of them. I think that there are more and more women-owned businesses. And one thing I've learned over time is to self-promote a little bit more as a woman in the business. It's, yeah, um, yeah, like,
1: yeah, I can relate to that for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I, it took me a while until some people said to me, "Oh, did your dad own the business?" Or you know, like people were like asking like, "Why are you qualified to run this business?" So yeah. then I I thought, "Oh, well, just put it out there." So I'm like, "No, this is my business. I'm an engineer. I know what I'm talking about." And without being overt, but really self-promote yourself a little bit more because people do respect the knowledge. And as a woman in business, I think we often have to be smarter We can't just ride on the coattails of, I'm here, so I'm good. I do speak up, and I have to go a bit more on credibility of what you know.
1: you know, You know, I've been in the manufacturing world for 35 years, and I've experienced exactly the same thing people are mm-hmm. like, oh, you're the hanger on, you know, you're the token woman in manufacturing. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to explain to them, no, I mean, this is what I do. And you're absolutely right about self-promotion. You have to get over that that feeling that you're you're not as good or shy, or you have to just stand up and say, this is what I do and I'm good at it. And this is why yeah. I do it and how I have that training. I think that's very important. Yeah.
0: It took me a little while to do that. I guess I think maybe we weren't raised to self-promote as much that we didn't want to boast about anything. But then I really don't even notice. You know, then I just go out and do my job, and we just get the job done. And, and my employees, men and women alike, it's just come and work. So I in Ruby Lake Glass, I have a a woman supervisor in the manufacturing, and other women who are doing the same work as the men in a a fairly dirty manufacturing, running the machines environment. And we just don't really think about it because I think that my supervisors who happen to be men, but they aren't afraid to hire a woman because their boss is a woman.
1: Yeah, right. Right. It's really changing that attitude over time. I I noticed my my son works for a woman, too, and I can just see his attitude is different than what I experienced in the workplace where he doesn't really care. Right. It's one or another. But it was clearly it was clearly different thirty five years ago when I first entered the work Oh, there
0: was. Yeah. And you know, in the COVID thing and the way we're communicating with each other more because of this last year we weren't traveling as much. There was less of the good old boy network in the shows and everybody goes out golfing or goes out and hangs out afterwards for drinking or whatever, you know, and as a woman in manufacturing, I'm more interested in getting the job done than the the hanging out with the guys type thing. And so that's kind of gone away, a bit. it's never gone. But the fact that we're all working from Zoom and we're working, we're more focused on the, what you know and getting the job done than the social. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It, and it I kind of like better.
1: That. It is getting better for sure. So you mentioned the pandemic. How has that affected your business over the last year?
0: Well, in the very beginning, it affected us like everybody else. We were in the shutdown mode. And what are we going to do? But very quickly, we recovered because we were considered an essential business because we were in the waste and recycling industry. So we had services that had to continue and we were servicing customers who had to continue. Recycling during the pandemic was higher than ever because everybody was staying home and they were actually consuming more at home and putting it out on the curb. So my customers were busy. So we've been busy. So it hasn't impacted us real negatively except the first half of the year. Last year, in the first half of the year, when it hit, so we had a definite problem then. And now it's more of a catch up where we were busy when other people weren't, and now we're busy, but we have supply issues. We can't, you know, the price of steel has doubled in the last year. So that particular things just don't come in when you expect with that. Yeah, there's all kinds of delays, and yeah, all kinds of delays. And so we have we also transitioned, like many manufacturers, to a just in time process where we had less inventory. We depended on our suppliers to get us everything in a week or two. And we've had to rethink that like many other people have.
1: Yeah, for sure. A lot of issues popping up that are driving companies to actually source in the U.S. and make their products here. So I think in the process of developing more manufacturing in America, you know, we, we lost so many jobs over the past 25 years. And Manufacturing went from about twenty-five percent of the economy in the nineteen sixties down to less than ten percent right now. But you know, we're seeing a rebound, and what's coming back is more advanced jobs that pay better and are more skillful. So that's
0: the direction we definitely want to move in. Yeah, manufacturing is finally getting its time, its attention. You know, and yeah. we need uh, skilled workers. Mm-hmm. So,
1: Cindy, do you have any closing thoughts? Anything else you'd like to add to what we've talked about?
0: or well you really covered it pretty good. I can't think of anything that needs to be added. It's been fun talking yeah. to you about this. And
1: Me too. I it. think you have a company that we should keep an eye on. Not only is it in, in alignment with the green initiatives and the, the greater climate change issues that are out there, but also manufacturing in America. It sort of hits on all those things and is very yeah. important and, and so, so interesting. And I'm sure all of us now, are, as we're driving down the street, are going <laughs> to look at all those the, that paint and wonder if it's got glass yeah. in it.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Be looking at that what's on the road and wondering if that's the glass you're walking on, and and hopefully more and more it will be. We're trying to replace a plastic they put on the road right now, which is just it's toxic and yeah, um, not user friendly. And ours will be durable. So we're we're working our way into that market, and you'll see us more and more on the road. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Cindy.
1: Can you give us your contact information and contact for the company in case anybody
0: wants to follow up with you? Sure. Yeah. So this is Andela Products. Okay. My website is www.andelaproducts.com. And my name is Cindy or Cynthia Andela. And the phone number is 315 858 0055. And that should get you into our our phone system, and just look for Cynthia and
1: Very good. Thank you. So you can listen to more podcasts on women in manufacturing at our website, which is www.womenandmfg.com. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates, R-C-O-A-T-E-S, at reshoringinstitute.org. And visit our website at www.reshoringinstitute.org, where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. Have a good day, everyone. Thank
0: you. Thank you for joining the WAM Podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to wampodcast.com. That's wampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in.